John's Gospel, um, I always preach directly through the Word of God with fear and trembling. And uh, my theory is God knows what his people need to eat way more than I do. And so I trust the Holy Spirit in that matter. Let's, uh, let me read the text for today. I'm, I'm uh, overlapping a tiny bit from last week, but not too much. Verse 24, uh, this is John 5, 24. And actually, before I start, you know, uh, two times you'll hear this repetitive, truly, truly. And uh, the original language, uh, of course, is, is Greek. This was written in Greek. But these two words are Hebrew uh, in origin. Uh, in other words, they're using a foreign word, and it's a word you're very familiar with. We anglicize it to amen. Okay. So in the original language, when you see truly, truly, or good old King James, I was raised with verily, verily, I say unto thee. Uh, nice sound, beautiful. Um, no mocking intended. I, I liked it. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, but that was, a, it was, so when you're reading this in Greek, if you were, you'd see, oh, that's a foreign language. We might want to put it in italics, right, to, to identify it. Amen, amen. It's unusual. It's a Jesus thing. And he's, uh, you know, clearly making a, the strongest verbal emphasis you could possibly make at the beginning of a sentence. Like I say in the morning, Verily, verily, I desire coffee. <laughs> I, I don't really say that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's the, the, the strongest verbal emphasis you can make about what he's about to say. All right. And he says much more important things about uh, than whether or not he wants coffee. So here's the word of God. Here's the word of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's pray. Father, we come to you humbly and ask you to teach all of us. Make us humble in your presence. We come to you in spirit and in truth 
We come in the spirit of humility before your mighty throne, but we're guided and informed by your glorious revelation you have spoken. And yet at the same time, we feel like the early waters of creation, that we are without form and void. And we need the Holy Spirit to form us and to fill us. So please, O oh Lord, hover over us individually and, and work in us, breathe in us uh, the breath of life today. And bring us to yourself, O oh Lord, as, as you want us to come, we pray. And thank you for this amazing opportunity and peace and security to read your precious word uh, today. And we always pray in the name of Jesus, the, the word of God, amen. I've been working a little bit, not probably as much as I should, but working a little bit in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. And it is a, a fantastic whole chapter, but I wanted to point out verse uh, 16 to you today. This is something Peter, you know Peter, he was very close to Jesus. He was one of the earliest disciples and with him the whole time. And this is his second Peter chapter 1 verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Just pause there a second. No matter what you hear anywhere else, the Bible is not put forward as cleverly devised myths. I'm sorry, I... I I'm not all that hot on mythology. I don't, I don't want to be helped by a myth that makes my heart glow. I want to be affected by the truth, something that's real. I want to base my life and faith on reality. I don't know about you, but I believe in reality. <laughs> and Peter says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord. Jesus Christ, look at this, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Again, I'm a thoroughgoing suburban American, and, and that's a sin <laughs> in some level. And so I know nothing about majesty. I really don't. I, you know, to me, like I said, majesty is... I, uh, you know, a nice, nice new shirt or a, a, a cup of coffee. But, but Peter says, listen, Jesus is majestic. He's all-powerful. We saw it. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And in John 5, this passage we're looking at today, the context of it is wonderfully, radically crazy because Jesus goes to the place where all the sick people were laying around for a long time. It was, the, it was Bethesda, the Bethesda Naval Hospital. No, not quite. Uh, but where that name comes from out of D.C. This place with five porches and the, the, all the really the hardest cases. The people who, they, this is a provider of last resort. When you have no hope at all, that's where you go. And he strides in there and chooses 
one guy who's been there 38 years, and Jesus knows all about him. He knows exactly, of course, what's going on with this guy. He knows how long he's been there, etc. And he says to him, do, do you want to get well? He's like, duh, you know, why am I here? Uh, but the guy is saying, you know, well, yeah, but I, I have no one to help me. To get, he, he's super lame. He can't get into the water. There was this, pro- honestly, honest, my opinion is probably a myth that the water would get stirred up, and if you got in the water quick enough, you'd get healed. I, I don't know. We'll find out in heaven whether that was true or not, right? That's not the point of the story. Here's the point of the story, the radical, crazy power. Jesus says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. What happened? He did. <laughs> Wait a minute. He, can't comp- he cannot obey those commands. He can't without the power of God infusing him. You know, I had the privilege of working 13 years as a hospital chaplain, and our hospital had a big rehab unit, spinal cord rehab unit, head injury rehab unit at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center in San Jose. And I saw therapy. I saw physical therapy. You know, people struggling for one little step at a time, beating with sweat, holding on to rails as hard as they could. Even, you know, even if they got innervation and their nerves were growing back and they could, they could start to move again, it takes months and perhaps never do you ever regain full capacity. And Jesus, whoosh, whoo, I'm here. I can carry my bag and I can walk. What do we have here? We have un, unbridled, un, unexplainable power. I mean, that's majesty. That's worship. That's fear to me, see. And, and sometimes I ask, what is, what is the church saying? Charlotte and I love to travel. We're, we love road trips. In fact, it's slow and easy. We, in fact, we break down frequently just to look around. <laughs> okay, that's not quite true. <laughs> but sometimes it seems so. <laughs> We've had a great run of it. We haven't had any breakdowns. We haven't been towed for, well, a couple of weeks anyway, you know. Triple <laughs> A loves us. <laughs> but uh, we were driving around. We, we visited, uh, this is going back into uh, June, I think. We visited the Randalls, former members of our church who moved to Idaho, partly to be witnesses in a dark place uh, there in, in the Mormon country. Eastern Idaho is, some towns like Idaho Falls are 80 to 90% Mormon. And so we were driving around the little towns. We got to one little town out there and drove by a church. And, and this is what was on the sign outside the church. Choosy mothers choose Jesus. And I said, you know, there's something dreadfully wrong with this idea. Is this really what we want to say? That Jesus is sort of like a good brand of peanut butter? You know, in the competition, you might want to try him. Sniff it. (laughs) Can you smell the peanuts? You know, honestly, it's like, Where is the fear of God here? Is this the right message? Are we portraying the majesty of who he really is? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, God forbid I should do that. I I don't know. They probably mean well. 
but it's just not really well thought out. I don't know if you agree with me or not. And sometimes it's just this, choose Jesus. You know, choose Jesus. It's apparently an election, you know. I could choose that one, this one, you know, choose Jesus. He's, he's kind of hoping you do. <laughs> he's wishing you would make that choice. He, he would feel better if you chose him. I, I, I'm, I'm afraid that is not a biblical point of view. That's not the Jesus I read about in John 5, 24 through 29, or in the entire book, or in the entire Bible. What, what the Bible says, it's more like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You don't even have understanding if you don't begin to understand who we're dealing with here. Who is this man who can, who can walk into a place of absolute hopelessness and speak, give commands, and his commands give life. His commands give the ability to obey the command. I can't obey it without you. Who is this man? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And another phrase, of course, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, go ahead and search in, in your Bible computer software uh, the fear of the Lord. Here's a very tiny, a couple of other verses. And I'm going to close with a little section, too, from the book of Proverbs. But here's Psalm 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The Bible says we should fear the Lord. And notice that in this passage. Just who is Jesus really? Look at the word here. Again, in Psalm, I mean, excuse me, John 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word. Now, honestly, if any of us said something like that, it's extremely arrogant, isn't it? <laughs> just, just listen to me. I know everything. <laughs> if you just listen to my word. If he is not everything he said he was, this is extreme, unbridled arrogance and hubris. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, he's saying, I and the Father are one. He had said that earlier. I am one with God the Father. This is a theme in the book of John. It's a theme in the Bible that you, you, you don't know God without Jesus. You don't know God without Jesus. You know part of God, you know a little bit about him, but you're, you're, you're misunderstanding him if you don't know Jesus. If you don't come to God the Father through God the Son, you have a misunderstanding of Jesus. You have a misunderstanding of God. You are missing the entire point. He's saying, the one, whoever... And, and in the context of the Gospel of John, see that, that word there, whoever, he's clearly saying, not just the Jews, but all nations, all people, uh, no matter what your background is, no matter how sinful you are. In the last chapter, he came to the woman who was, you know, five, she had had five husbands, and she didn't have the wealth of Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> it was no Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, she was uh, di disrespected, 
she was feared, probably. She was dirty in her culture. Um, she had five husbands, and she was cohabitating with somebody else at this time. And that's the person to whom Jesus chose to reveal himself and to give the water of life. So whoever, we're all in the same boat. Clinton said that in his prayer. We, none of us are more worthy of forgiveness. <laughs> the prerequisite for forgiveness is... I am a sinner. The Bible says we will loathe ourselves when we understand how sinful we are. I know that's a powerful word and probably psychologically really incorrect, politically incorrect, right? But it's a biblical idea. But you don't stay at the loathing level. You move through that to being forgiven by this gracious God who in turn strengthens you and makes you significant in his service and flows his power through you so like the guy at Bethesda, you can get up and walk through the power of God. We're going to get to that uh, as I close out the sermon in the next 45 minutes. <laughs> it truly is a joke, or more or less. <laughs> who is Jesus really? He's the one that your response to his word and believing in him who sent me will determines your eternal destiny. He's the one who makes all the difference in the world. He says, if you, if you hear my word, believe me, believe the one who sent me, then you have eternal life. And you are the, he's the only way to avoid death. Jesus is the only way to avoid judgment and death. Condemnation before this mighty, holy other, all-powerful God whom we have offended by rebelling against him. We have not respected his authority. You know, I, I hope, I'm, I'm not alone here, let's just say 100% of us have not respected his authority. Do we really worship him? Do we really know what fear and trembling is? I don't think so. I don't think so. And this is the one we need help being reconciled with. The help is Jesus, powerful, infinite help. And all God's people said, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. He's the ultimate help. Absolutely, help is on the way. It's Jesus. He's already been here. And he, look at the last part of this verse, verse 24. He, that's the person who hears my word, he has an informed faith, and he believes in God the Father, he has eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Another way to say that then is, who, just who is Jesus? Really, he is the one with life in his word. It's demonstrated in this passage by him strolling up to this paralyzed guy whose legs are completely atrophied, and he says, boom, get up. <laughs> Take up your bed and walk. Three staccato commands. They're all commands. It's not like, you know, you might try this. You know, choose Jesus. <laughs> no, it's you obey. He is the one with life in his word. Okay. Who said he could have this power? Just who said? Have you ever had that question? Have you ever been challenged at that level? 
who told you that? <laughs> or just who do you think you are? It's a good question. We like authority. We like understanding authority. And Jesus makes it really clear in this text. He's not claiming his own unique authority. And in this process, I confess his great mystery because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All three are equal in essence. They are one God. There is one God who exists in three persons. But in the Trinity, there is a, what do you call it, a reality of roles, roles. If I have a subservient role, it doesn't make me less valuable. You know? Jesus is not less valuable because he's submitted to the Father. He's not less valuable because he never says, you, know, you give me this thing. You give me that authority. You do that for me. No. Uh, look at how it, it's put out here. This is super powerful, and I confess I can't do it fully, but here's verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. We're going to come back to that in a minute. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted. It's, I love the English Standard Version. Uh, that's what I'm reading here. And they make it sound a little bit, little bit flowery. Because the word is given. The word basically give. Uh, the Father gave. He has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So in, in the Trinity... The Father gives to the Son to have life in Himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He has life in Himself. And then look at the next phrase. And He, that's the Father, He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of God. Who said He could have this power? It is the Father. The Father has given Him this power. And who said he could have this power? First of all, subpoint under this, verse 25, the, the dead will hear him, and those who hear him will live. I believe this verse is talking about individuals right now that have the gracious opportunity to hear the voice of Jesus, and they are brought to life. They are reborn. Uh, the Bible says... Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the, the speech of Christ. By the, the word speech is rhema, 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 which is spoken word. Faith comes by hearing, and that hearing comes by the speech of Christ. They hear his voice, and that hearing gives us life. If you are born again, it is because Jesus spoke life into you. Jesus makes all the difference in the world. One of my favorite passages is Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 27. And it's very similar in the same kind of context. He has given him authority to execute judgment. J Jesus, by his own judgment, decides to whom he's going to give life. See verse 21 of John 5. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life unto them. Let me start over there. <laughs> For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. 
catch that? Well, we thought we were supposed to choose Jesus. But this seems to be saying we should hope he chooses us. He gives life, life to whom he will, to those whom he wishes to give it to. See, that's John, that's the word of God, John 5, 21. And it's a judgment that he makes who he wants to give this life to. So we should humbly come to him and say, please give me life. I humbly come to your presence. I don't demand this. I, I can't possibly produce this myself. You can speak the word and I will be healed. This is the power of Jesus. And as I was saying, Matthew eleven twenty seven. I love Matthew 11. It's a fantastic passage of scripture. The whole thing is fantastic and wonderful. Ma Matthew 11, but this is eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. So in the Trinity, Jesus has given all authority. He is the Lord. We, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is fully God. He is Yahweh, the Lord, the master, the owner, the self-existent, the one who can say, I am, before Abraham was, I am. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Well, that's a closed group right there. Not any person knows the Son or the Father except each other. They eternally exist in full knowledge of each other. But that's not where Matthew eleven twenty seven 27 ends. Let me read it again. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now that's powerful. It should be fearful revelation. Jesus has the power, the freedom, the judgment. Who has free will here? I believe in free will. The free will of God. I'm a, I'm a corpse. I don't have a will at all. He speaks his will into me, then I can know the Father. <laughs> Undeserved. Matthew eleven twenty seven, And then that's exactly what the Father has given him. Who said he could have this authority? To, and I, again, I think verse 25 is talking about the, the here and now. See what it says right there? Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. This is an ongoing reality. When the dead will hear, and I think he's talking about the spiritual dead, of which I am one or was before I heard the voice of Jesus. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Who said he had this power? God the Father. The Father gave him this power, and the Father has given him this authority to judge, authority to make this judgment to whom he will. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He, we're, we're judged by our peer some interesting way. Because he's the Son of Man, he's the one given this power to judge. Okay. 
Who said he could have this power? God the Father. What is the extent of this power? I've already indicated that I think it's infinite. But this text really nails it down in a huge way. Look at verse 28. Do not marvel at this. In other words, the proper response to the previous revelation is to marvel. Like, how does that work? How does he choose some to receive this life? He says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming. Notice he doesn't put the phrase in, and is now here. An hour is coming. There is coming a future hour when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Now this is, it was powerful for him to go to Bethesda and speak to this one guy. That was power unbelievable, shocking. What kind of power is it when he booms out his voice at the, one of the checkpoints in human history, I won't say the end, but it's not exactly the end, the beginning of eternity, when he booms out his voice and every single individual human being who has ever lived is resurrected to life. Everybody. Do you understand that? We don't believe in reincarnation. The Bible does not teach that. It teaches something far better and scarier and much more personally responsible. <laughs> Resurrection. You will rise again. You will. I, I, this is what the Word of God says, not me, not my authority. God says you, you don't just die and get out of this thing. You know, to be really uh, graphic, I, th I think this should be a very good dissuader towards suicide. Because the person committing suicide thinks, okay, I do this and I'm going to have peace and I'm going to just quit existing. And the Bible says, no, 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 you don't. You don't quit existing. I mean, it's, it's a horrible thing. You've, you've been so miserable that you want to end it all and quit existing. But please don't do that because you don't quit existing. You will be resurrected. So please take the opportunity to be saved to overcome, to be a victor, to be a significant human being whose significance may only be that I finally figured out this depression thing. I finally got the help I needed. I finally recovered and had some glimmer of hope. I don't know, but I think that's good. He has given him authority to execute, execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. I just think this is so crazy. <laughs> and I love this idea. They'll hear his voice. <laughs> the, his, the sound, I mean, how does that happen when like the eardrums of Cain are kind of dis... <laughs> kind of gone now, you know? But Cain will be resurrected, reconnected in some amazing way that I can't understand. But that's how powerful Jesus is. They will hear his voice. So what difference does this make for us? What difference should it make for us? 
Look at this last phrase. This is the last verse we're going to look at today. Verse 29. They'll come out, everyone, all of us. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So the point is being made here that this is what makes all our life significant. The fact that I'm going to be raised again then makes every day, every moment, how I spend my life, it makes it significant, right? Wow, I don't escape my past by dying. It's there. It's, it's real. Another way to say the same thing is how you live has eternal results. Now, real quickly, I know it's getting a little late and maybe a little warm in here. I'm a little warm. But real quickly, I promise, like less than five minutes. Real quickly. I want you to see that in, at, at a surface level, there's like a theological conundrum in this passage of Scripture. Because in verse 24, it acts like, all I do is believe. I hear and I believe him who sent me. I, I have eternal life. And then it acts like when I'm raised, they're going to sort me out on whether I did good works or not. You see that? You feel that little tension in there? You should. And far too long, the church has emphasized, say, John 5.24 or John 3.16, whoever believes you know, will not perish but have everlasting life. Absolutely gorgeous words. But then we've kind of de-emphasized this under part that says, by the way, it matters how you live. <laughs> by the way, God is keeping record. And what is he looking for? Fruits of your faith. I had a granddaughter this week. <laughs> Her name is Serenity Wren Beck. And the Wren is W-R-E-N. My last name is R-E-H-N, just to confuse things. <laughs> she was born like four days early, on the 30th, I think, July 30th. Beautiful. I haven't seen her yet, but I've seen some pictures. Charlotte's flying out there uh, to New Hampshire later on today to see the baby. What do you want from a baby? What, what do you want from new life? You want it to grow. <laughs> you, you don't want it just to be a blob of, uh, of, of non-motion, non-action. You want it to grow and do good things. Jesus has birthed us. We're born again by the Word. But life declares itself. And if you are spiritually alive, it will declare itself. People will be able to see it. <laughs> and you will have good works. This is definitely not saying we're saved by our good works. Uh, but we are, we are, our good works demonstrate that we're really saved. And so the church has done a real disservice, I think, to some people. Because there's a whole classification of Americans who say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Shut, you know, heck, I prayed the prayer. I'm I'm saved. I believe John 3.16. Well, we should say, well, what about John 5.29? Could anybody tell you're a Christian? If you're, are you ethical at work? Are you giving to the Lord? Are you serving the church? Are you witnessing? Are you living for God? Are you worshiping? Do you have any sense of fear and trembling before the majesty of this power who spoke you into life? James 
says it very well, of course. James 2.17 So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You say, oh yeah, I believe. Honestly, there's like 80-90% of Americans who say, yeah, I believe. <laughs> but you'd never know it. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if anyone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works. You know, serenity, my new baby granddaughter, show me your life without being alive. You, you, we want you to grow up and be alive. Declare yourself. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Jesus speaks to the dead, and those who hear will live. Here is a, let's close with this. And uh, we'll have to get back to this another time. It's too wonderful and wonderful. Uh, how are these works done? Jesus puts it this way in John 3, 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Now catch verse 21, 321. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, the believer doesn't produce these works. This is still monergism. It's still only the power of God. This is not synergism. Like, he saved me by the work of Jesus, and now I have to keep up the works by myself. No, it's his power. Just as Jesus' powerful word flowed through to the paralytic beside Bethesda pool, the word flows through us, and the word says both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This is what makes all our life significant, how we live as eternal results. We depend on the power of God to obey him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we've dipped into this precious, powerful word. First of all, Lord, we want to uh, properly fear you. And I want to close refreshing our minds in Proverbs 1 about what fear looks like. Proverbs 1, particularly verse, just a few verses here, verse 24 and following. Listen to how the fear of God works out in our lives. Proverbs 1, 24. Because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear 
of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way. Those who have done evil go off into eternal judgment. They shall eat the fruit of their way. Not a confession they made a long time ago, but how that confession really worked, how it produced real life in them. They shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Please, O oh Father, in your kindness, apply it to our hearts. Help us to live for you. Fill us with your energy. Hover over us and breathe life into us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.